Most of my favorite moments in worship happen with children at moments like we just experienced. One of our children was in the basket. How great is that? <laughs> just hanging out in the basket over here. Uh, but two moments that stick out over the course of my ministry uh, pertain to children. One is there's a particular time I like to move a lot when I preach. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but I do like to sort of float. And, and as I was doing that, my microphone one particular Sunday was doing that. You know, I kept getting hung up in, in my, it's okay, I did it on purpose. I kept getting hung up in my microphone like that. And, and it was driving this one little boy crazy because it kept getting kind of scratchy and that kind of thing. And so he leaned over to his mom and he said, is Pas if Pastor Jay gets loose, is he going to hurt us? Like, no, I'm not. Even though the monster sounds might say otherwise. There was another time when after a worship service, this mom was telling me how she calmed down her fidgety seven-year-old uh, son. She finally was able to get him to sit still and to sit quiet uh, by saying halfway through the sermon, she leaned over and she said, if you don't be quiet, uh, Pastor Jay is going to lose his place in the sermon and have to start all over again. <laughs> he got real still, real quiet, real quick. Can you imagine, can you imagine worship without the sounds and the voices of children? There's something that's so holy about children's voices, their laughter, their love, the, the inquisitive nature of of how they fill out the children's bulletins that they receive, uh, this wide-eyed wonder when they come down to communion. And, and you gotta keep in mind, we, we're on the, the opposite end from, from you all during communion, but children can't see over adults. So they're oftentimes peeking around the corner, trying to see what this bread and this juice is. And then and we see them in your pews. When a child comes to be baptized, they kind of pop up because they want to see how the baby's going to react to cold water being put on their heads. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. We need children among us. Jesus knew that. And so when his disciples asked this crazy question about greatness, Jesus had a very specific response. Because if, the, if Jesus would be so daring as to say, who is the greatest among us, then by definition, is he not saying who is not the greatest among us? Because our minds work in those dualistic ways. That's what the disciples are saying. Not only who's the greatest, but also who's not the greatest? Who's the least among us? And so these disciples, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, Judas, Thomas, Every last one of them, the 12 grown men who followed Jesus said, who's in and who's out? Who's the greatest? To which Jesus said, hold my shepherd's crook or something like that. And he called over a child and he put that child right in the middle of them as if to say there's a difference in being childlike and childish. So in this childish argument about greatness, Jesus says, become like one of these children. See with wide-eyed wonder and imagination what God is doing in the world. See people as people. Sit in a basket when you have a chance to sit in a basket. 
Who's great? Who's small? And this question pops up a lot, really, throughout the course of Jesus' ministry. If you remember in Luke's gospel, someone said, well, who is my neighbor? That's another way of saying, who's not my neighbor? Who's the person I can keep at arm's length? Who has the greatest prominence, Jesus? Who will be at your right hand and who will be at your left? To which Jesus said, it's not about right and left. It's just about us. Or they said at another time, who gets to sit at the table? Who's welcome as a dinner guest? Thinking who's in and who's out matters. And in just a few weeks from this very pulpit on Monday, Thursday, we'll read a story about how those meals work because Jesus says, I'll show you what greatness is all about. And he'll take off his outer garment and he'll take a basin of water and he'll begin washing the feet of the disciples. As if to say greatness isn't about the labels and the value systems that we attach to it. It's about the least among us, the little ones. I do appreciate how Jesus' answer also indicates what greatness is not. It's, greatness is not political. It's not even religious or financial or social or any other label value system that we attach to it. It doesn't come in the form of persuasion or power, but in a precious little child. Later in the, in the text, you heard it, he writes these little ones, anyone who's a stumbling block to these little ones. And that phrase little ones, it can mean so many things. It can mean age, but little ones can also be somebody who's brand new to the faith, right? It can also mean a guest among us. It can mean somebody who's been marginalized, pushed to the outskirts of our society. It can mean those who have been estranged and are estranged from, from their families. It can, it can mean any of those among us who find themselves as the least and the last and the lost. But Jesus says greatness is like a lowly baby. It's like a teachable child. It's honest, it's innocent, it's pure. And it has an imagination, greatness does. This is hard to believe, but in the first century, children were utilities. They were property. They were not great. They were not even seen. One historian has written a book. I have not read the book, but I'm intrigued by the summary and the title at this point. And the book is When Children Became People. And it's a dive into the Greco-Roman world in the first century around the time of Jesus. And one suggestion is that children didn't become people, citizens, have value until Christianity changed that, even this story. They were property. And in a very small, enclosed, patriarchal society, fathers, if angered by their children, could dismiss their children. They could sell them. They could send them into a brothel to help the family earn income. They were reared by slaves, also who were outside that circle. You know, In a patriarchal society, there's only one circle, and everybody else is, is outside that circle. But what Jesus the Christ does in this story and throughout the gospel narrative is he takes this eraser called grace 
and he erases all the lines that we put around classes and groups of people. And then he turns his pencil around and he draws this big circle to say, everybody matters to God. Every single person is a child of God, redeemed by Christ and gifted by the Spirit. And so amid all of the labels, Amid all of the talk about who's in and who's out, about greatness, Jesus calls a child over to him. And I'm starting to wonder, the more I, the more I sit with this, test, this text, I'm starting to wonder how that child made his or her way to that crowd. Jesus is with the disciples. The crowds had started closing in around Jesus. And somehow, you know how children do, they just kind of swim their way through a crowd, you know, because they can kind of bump you on the knee and you kind of do like that and they keep on going. Somehow this child made his or her way to Jesus and Jesus picks the child up, puts the child right in the middle of everyone to say, this is greatness. And anyone who stands in the way of childlike wonder needs to tie a millstone around her or his neck and be thrown into the sea. Hmm. Harsh words. Today we are thinking about isms and phobias, and you're probably asking, why on Children's Sunday are we having to talk about such hard topics? Well, because Jesus overcame a lot in his day. He had a lot of lines to erase. What is an ism? Well, it's any word that ends in ISM. How about that, for starters? It's a distinctive doctrine or a religion in some cases, a manner of acting or behaving in others, but in thinking about labels we need to remove, it's a prejudice or a discrimination, something that is ascribed or attributed to another group. They're beliefs that are held sometimes by small pockets of, of a culture, sometimes by the larger uh, culture. Typically one group is asserting power over an inferior group. We know what some of these isms are that are harmful. Racism and classism and sexism and anti-Semitism and radicalism and tribalism is sort of the wide spectrum. This idea that I'll defend what I believe in and I'll keep at arm's length any, anything else. That's what this Lenten journey is about. It's about erasing some lines and drawing a, a wider circle. Scott Young is a blogger, and, and he says that um, as we think about these belief systems, these systems of tribal belief, it's not logical, it's not even rational, but what we, what we all do in our human condition is we defend our tribe at, at all costs. And what we end up doing so often that is damaging is we end up talking about what we're against much more than what we are for. And the thing that children teach us about greatness and the kingdom of heaven is how to see people. Children are not born learning how to hate. We know that. They're shaped by their environment, but they're also shaped by love. Phobias, they're a little bit different, and there's some things you and I both agree on that we can't help fearing, right? Like arachnophobia is the fear of 
Spiders, yes, and some of you are creepy crawling right now. Claustrophobias, fear of tight spaces. Hemophobia, blood, you got it. Hydrophobia, fear of what? Water, yeah, I sympathize with that after all the rain we had. Those who are hydrophobic, I got it. Somnophobia, the fear of falling asleep. Some of you had an hour taken from your sleep patterns last night. You're not struggling with somnophobia right now. I made up one, COVID-19 phobia. <clears throat> Scared of germs. The Bible offers this, this refrain throughout the whole narrative. Do not be afraid. Do not be fearful or fear not. But there's some deeper phobias, if you will, that can become labels to distance folks from ourselves if we're not careful, like monophobia, the fear of being alone, to which Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. Like the fear of, of relationships, to which Jesus said, love one another in the same way that I have loved you, and to which Paul said, you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of a collective body to do life together. Agoraphobia is the fear of feeling safe or not feeling safe, to which Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's another phobia that is intriguing to me, and it's one that gets headline attention so, so often. It's a core piece of my doctoral work that I am so ready to press send on and send it away <laughs> into the cloud, be done with all of that. But the New Testament word for hospitality is intriguing because it means more than opening up our homes or presenting hors d'oeuvres or scented candles and that kind of thing. The word hospitality in Hebrews and 1 Timothy and 1 Peter and in Revelation is philiosenia. Now, we know those two words. Philios, philio, is love, like Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? Xenia is stranger or other. In other words, the New Testament is telling us that hospitality is about loving the other or the stranger. Xenophobia is fear of the other. It gets a lot of attention in our headlines, doesn't it? So how do we hold alongside in tension those two things, hospitality and fear? It's a wrestling match, is it not? In my work that I've been doing with many of you in smaller settings, what you've told me is that strangers and others can be seated in the same pew with me. So what we're trying to do is, is work towards ways to do more life together as a congregation, to get to know one another. But the same is true of, of people who are different from us in general. Isms and phobias can be ways that we label people. And so when we discriminate against other people because of race or gender, political persuasion, it becomes really an idol, a lens through which we decide we want to see other people rather than a lens where we see people as children created in the image of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ, and gifted by the Holy Spirit. And so what we do is we draw circles. We need Jesus' help over these 40 days of Lent to erase some circles to draw a big line together. That's what I love about corporate worship. That's why I love the theology of, of pews versus individual seats. Nothing wrong with individual seats in worship spaces. But the theology of a pew in the nave of a sanctuary like a ship is that we're all rowing 
together. We all have to work together, sitting by one another. Phobias, they, they become labels when we keep people at arm's distance. And it's just easier when people are struggling with life to keep, keep them out there and I'll just stay here because I'm healthy. I believe for this journey of Lent, as we discuss these hard topics, as we take steps in this rocky wilderness terrain, like Jesus did in the wilderness, I believe what we're being asked to do is to see people as people, to see people through the lens of love, not as a label, not as an inferior group, not as someone else's problem to figure out, but as a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. That's where we become like children. It happened on Wednesday here, two Wednesdays ago, Ash Wednesday. It happened in this sanctuary, actually. The clergy team and I, we we came in to make the last final touches for the worship service. We were getting all the ashes in place. We were getting our chapstick going. And over here to my left and by this transept and through this, this door in walked an African-American man who we could see right off the bat was differently abled. And he walked in and he said, hi, my name is Brandon. We introduced ourselves and we spoke for a little while. He told us that he took the bus for the large portion of the, the way over here from Gibbs Village. And then he walked the rest of the way. But someone had told him about Wednesday night supper at First United Methodist Church. And he just had to be here. It was 3.15 in the afternoon. We had some time on our hands. So we sat and talked to Brandon for a while and we took him down to the friendship room. And when Brandon came out of this archway here and into the sanctuary, his eyes got this big and he sat down right there by where Josh is sitting and, and Josh might have even been playing at that time but he was blown away by the beauty of this place and he got real quiet so we walked down and we got Brandon a Sprite and Tammy Holcomb with her cheerful hospitable self she came and she said we want to go down to Wednesday night supper Brandon already knew he could follow his nose and somebody had told him about Wednesday night supper He sat with two of our church members there, and as each minute passed, he learned some names, Brandon learned some stories, we learned some stories about Brandon. And then he was invited back here into our worship service, and there were so many people, much like this morning here at our Ash Wednesday service. And so at the moment that that he came down and Julian put the sign of the cross on his head, I thought, my goodness. The kingdom of God is breaking out among us. Jesus the Christ has taken one of his children and placed that child among us to say, this is greatness. The one among you who reminds you to look up and to be wide-eyed, to have a humility and an honesty about faith. Thank you, church, for drawing the circle wide on Ash Wednesday. Earlier in the service, you, you passed some labels down, and I want you to start taking those and, and processing ways that we can let go of labels.
ways that we're labeled by others, ways that you label others, ways that you label yourself. And I want you to start writing those down. It may be an ism, it, it might be a phobia, it might be a relational piece, whatever it is. And as the choir sings, I invite you to record those on these labels. And at the inside of each pew is a little white baggie. You see some of those that are there. When everybody's had a chance to fill out their label, you can pass that bag down to the end and put a label in it as it comes down the pew, much like an offering. Keep those confidential, and our associates will gather those, and we'll present those here at the foot of the cross. Friends, I invite you to continue observing a label-free Lent. Amen.